It's my privilege this morning to introduce our guest speaker, David Rosa. David, David, you want to come on up here? Um, David is planting a church. He's continuing his seminary studies and planting a church in Hollywood. I was going to say California, but it's actually here, Hollywood, Florida. And this is in uh, partnership with Spanish River Church. And boy, we've had a great relationship over the years with uh, Spanish River. So really, really thankful that you're here today, David. And uh, David's wife, Ruth, is here. They have two children, a daughter, six, and a little boy, yep. two. Right. And so we are just delighted that, that David is here. He is a native of Brooklyn, That's right. New York. Yes, sir. Yes. And uh, we are just delighted. Let's give David a warm BBCC welcome. Good morning, Boeing Beach Community Church. How you doing? Good, good, good. I am uh, very grateful for the opportunity to come and share with you today. Uh, thank you, Pastor Dudley, again. Uh, as well, thank you, the elders of the church. Uh, while we get right to it, uh, if you would, bow your heads and go with me uh, to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you. Father, we thank you this morning that you uh, have set apart a day uh, where we could come to you, God, uh, to, to, to be reoriented uh, by, by the priority of life, the, the priority of the universe, so that we might be reoriented and, and get our priorities lined up right, God, you being number one. And so, Father, today as we come before you, we recognize you. Uh, that you are great, that you are mighty, God, that you are beautiful in all of your ways, God. And so we thank you for who you are. And as we look on you, we recognize that we in and of ourselves are often weak, poor, not always so wise. But Father, in you we find perfect wisdom perfect strength, perfect love, and everything that we need. And so we pray, Spirit, come. God, we pray that your Spirit would come and that your Spirit would be here to uh, challenge us this morning. That your Spirit would be here, God, to convict us today. And that in the same vein that your Spirit would come to encourage us, empower us, and fuel us for life and ministry. God, we are dependent and reliant on you. We confess that. God, I pray now that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Make it come to life for us this day, we pray. In the name of your son, Jesus, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. 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 We're going to be in the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 14. So, if you got your Bible or your device, uh, meet me there. And as it says on the front of your bulletin this morning, we are going to be talking about the unstoppable gospel. The unstoppable gospel. As Pastor Dudley said just a minute ago, um, my name is David Rosa Jr. and I'm the lead planter of Cruciform Church um, in Hollywood, Florida. I have the privilege of leading a group of uh, a wonderful team and part of the team is here. So team, if you're here, raise your hand real quick so they can see you and 
be able to recognize you. This is part of our team here this morning. Um, and so uh, we, we simply exist to join God in the spreading of his fame and the restoration of the streets. And we envision diverse communities of believers in every neighborhood of Hollywood, Florida, formed by the cross, empowered by the gospel, and pounding the concrete for the glory of God and the good of neighbor. Uh, we believe that God has called his church um, to more than preaching, but nothing less than it. Uh, we believe he's called this to preaching and uh, to, to, to missional engagement, uh, that we would be engaged with the people of our neighborhoods, that we would be engaged with neighbor, to love neighbor, to help neighbor, and to share with neighbor. And so that's, uh, that's what we're doing now in Hollywood for the past several months, and we look forward to launching a Sunday morning worship somewhere between January and April of this coming year. And so uh, we covet your prayers. Um, we covet uh, just your, your support and, and uh, your partnering in whatever way uh, God would see fit. So uh, again, thank you for the opportunity um, to be here with you all today. Uh, why don't we go, uh, go ahead and read out of uh, Acts chapter 14 and uh, we're going we're gonna to read a little bit. We'll, we'll start at verse 8, and then we'll work our way down to verse 23. I hear the word of the Lord this morning. It says, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing uh, that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what, Peter had, uh, what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, uh, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and, her and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in it. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even when these words scarce, uh, even these words scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples, uh, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord 
in whom they had believed. And Father, again, we pray that you would bless the hearing of your word this morning. In this scene of the scriptures, we are uh, brought into uh, this, 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 this missional moment in the journey of Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they are in the midst of mission. They are in the midst of living out the things that they believe for the sake of the gospel. And if we looked back to chapter 13 of uh, Acts, what we find is that, the, that, that there were some prophets and teachers gathered together in Antioch uh, worshiping. And as they worship and fast, the scripture says that, that, that the Holy Spirit set apart um, both Barnabas and Saul, Paul, for the work to which he had called them. <clears throat> and then after uh, they had prayed, uh, the elders laid hands on them and sent them off, the Scripture says. They, they were sent off. They went to do the work of mission, um, and they first went to the Jews. They preached, and the Jews did not receive them. At the end of chapter 13, it says that, that, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, they got upset. <clears throat> they got upset, and Paul, uh, Paul, Paul responded to their 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 aggression, and he just he he proclaimed, "Hey, uh, because of this, uh, the light has come to the Gentiles now." And the Scripture says that as many as were appointed to eternal life believed on that day. This is, this is the, the beginning scene of chapter 14. And here in chapter, when, when we approach or uh, get to chapter 14, again, what we find ourselves in is in a moment of missional engagement where Paul and Barnabas are sharing the gospel with the people at Lystria, and, and, and they preach the gospel so good that the people start to worship them. It says that the people start to worship them, uh, but, but see, crowds are unpredictable. Because they're with you one moment and the next moment they turn their backs on you. And this is exactly what happens here in this text. The people worship them as gods, but then some Jews come around, I believe, uh, the same Jews that we uh, just hear about in Acts chapter 13 who are frustrated uh, because they do not accept the word of the gospel. Uh, and now they're even, they're, they're more aflame because the gospel has now come to uh, the Gentiles. And so they go, they meet with the people, uh, and they begin to conspire to kill Paul. This is where we find ourselves and. And, 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 and these, these Jews and, and the rest of the group, they, they carry out their plan. So they stone Paul and they carry, out, they carry him out of the city as if he was dead. Barnabas, on the other hand, was spared. And I think the reason why Barnabas was spared was because Paul was the chief um, speaker. And so, and so as we read and reading uh, Acts chapter 14, um, they refer to Paul uh, and Barnabas as Zeus and uh, Herbies. And, 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 and Herbies, they, they called uh, Paul Herbies, and Herbies was the, uh, the chief speaker of Zeus. 
Um, and so it seems as though Paul was a little more outspoken and less reserved than Barnabas. So they left Barnabas alone and they went for Paul's head. And, and, and so, uh, but, but then the disciples come around Paul, and when they come around Paul, Paul stands up to his feet. Uh, and then it says that the next morning, he gets with Barnabas and hits the streets again. Goes into Derby to continue advancing the gospel in that place. Now, what's interesting is that Paul could have uh, just skipped out of town and walked to his hometown of Tarsus. It wasn't too much further. He could have done that, but rather than doing that, he goes on to Derby and then he, 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 he goes back around all the places that he had gone preaching the gospel to encourage and strengthen the young church planters uh, of those areas. One of those areas being the areas from which the Jews came to stone him. Listen, friends, life on mission, uh, on mission, we're always faced with difficulty and opposition. As we live this Christian life, as we respond uh, appropriately to the call of Jesus to go out and make disciples, uh, it is always with difficulty and opposition. It's not easy to obey the command of Jesus to make disciples even to the other parts of the world. It's not easy to, to, to take from your time, to share with others, to, to hold one another accountable, to, to make sure that each other um, are in good, uh, situ in good health and, and in good care. It's not easy. It's not easy. But I think what the Spirit of God might be saying to us today is keep believing and keep pressing on. And so for these remaining minutes, I, I want to I talk to you about three things. Three things. You can write it down or you can just remember it. They're simple things. It's, it's this. I want to talk to you about gospel power. Gospel power. Then I want to talk to you a little bit about um, gospel. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about gospel predicaments. I talk to you about gospel power. I want to talk to you about gospel predicaments. And then I want to talk to you about Gospel perseverance, gospel power, gospel predicaments, and gospel perseverance. We'll start out looking at verses 8 through 10 again. Uh, I just want to point out to a couple of things to you. Uh, the author of this book, Luke, we believe, uh, is highlighting for us here the severity of a lame man's paralysis. So we begin to read, and, and what we find is that he almost exaggerates the point that the man was crippled. He, he does that by, by overly describing the situation. So if you notice, between 8 and 10, he says that the man couldn't use his feet. Then he says that the man was crippled. And then he says that the man had never walked. He really highlights these things almost in an exaggerating way. And I think he does that to highlight for us gospel power. Gospel power. Here's a man who had been crippled uh, for his whole life, and, and he's listening intently to the words being proclaimed out of the mouth of the apostle. And at that moment, the apostle, full of the Spirit, looks deep into the man's eyes is given discernment from on high 
and notices that the man has faith. He notices that the man believes, and as he notices that the man believes, he demands that the man would get up and walk. And so the man, full of faith, the Scripture says, leaps to his feet and begins to walk. In, in, in the ch- chapter right before it, in, the, the, in one of the final verses, in fact, the final verse of Uh, chapter 13, it says uh, that the disciples were filled with joy and were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, And Paul, being full of the Spirit, is concerned for the people he preaches to and was interested in their condition. And so God allowed him to discern and demonstrate gospel power in the presence of pagan people. Friends, I think we should be more concerned with the people who we engage with than than, than merely uh, getting our point across to them. I think sometimes we think of mission or sometimes we think of discipleship or evangelism and we think, think, I I just need to convince this person about about the truth that I believe and and once once they believe that, then I'll move on to the next one. But what we find here is that Paul was, was more concerned for the folk than that. Paul took his time, looked intently into the crippled man's eyes. And as he looked intently into the crippled man's eyes, God gave him insight into the crippled man's life. To the crippled man's life. The text says that also the man listened to Paul. So that he had faith to be made well. And, and, and the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 17 teaches us that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. What was going on here was that the Holy Spirit of God began to work in the crippled man's life. He, he, he began preparing his heart so that it might be fertile ground. The apostle preached by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he preached by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit did a marvelous work. Check this out. Paul preached. The man listened. The power of God was actively anointing the preacher and the hearer to preach and hear what God was saying. Uh, Paul was given discernment from the Holy Ghost so that he could see what God saw. Paul follows the flow of the Holy Ghost, speaks accordingly. The man puts his experience, what he knows, uh, his insecurities, and everything else to the side and believes so that he jumps up and begins to walk. It's a beautiful thing that God does here. As I was reading through this, I read through a commentary of one of my favorite commentators. Uh, And and as I read it, I I was considering seriously what he said, and I almost agreed with him, but then I didn't. Because basically what what he said was that that the reason the miracle happened was because this man had some uh, exceptional faith, and that Paul had um, some kind of exceptional um, anointing so that the miracle could happen. I'm not sure. Because it seems to me that the same God 
who created the world ex nihilo, out of nothing, is the same God who parted the Red Sea, is the same God who fed Israel manna from heaven, is the same God who brought the walls down in Jericho, is the same God who consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water left in the trench trench so that all might see. They fell on their faces, the scripture says, and they, they, they scream out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, is the same God who, who, who came down from heaven preaching and healing is the same God who empowers you and I for life and ministry so that we might reflect and live out the kingdom of God here and now is the same God who uses Paul in the way that he does, in the way throughout all of history to make men whole said in the first service, I'm not trying to preach you into a Pentecostal frenzy this morning, though I probably wouldn't mind, but I do want to encourage you in these truths. Listen, God is near you as you consider the word of his gospel, and his power is able to heal your broken heart, your body, and your soul by his mercy and his providence. Our God is not a weak God, but is a strong God who has been doing the miraculous from eternity past. The way he created this world was miraculous. The way he created you was miraculous. The way he's preserved his people is miraculous. The way that he came down and then rose after dying is miraculous. Our God is not a weak God, but rather he is a strong God. And as we hear his word, he enter, he, he, he engages us in power and might so the things that are impossible might become real. Christian, I want to encourage you that God is near you as you by faith live out the call to mission and take the gospel into hard places. His gospel power is able to do mighty things as people listen and believe in faith. As you love on neighbor through acts of kindness, do me a favor and don't stop telling them the message. Because God uses the message and he uses listening to do powerful things in and through our ministries. I wonder though, do you believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? If you do... And if we do, then why aren't we sharing, telling, and preaching it more? I want to talk to you a little bit about gospel predicaments. Gospel predicaments. See, the, the message of the gospel is powerful. It's explosive. It's powerful and it's explosive in that it, it flips everything that we know and believe over its head. You and I believe that in order to be made right with God or that the way we're made right with God is by doing X, Y, and Z, by, by going to church, by, by, by not cursing the way I used to, by, by fasting more, by praying more, by getting my life right. But then Jesus comes on the scene. 
Then God comes on the scene, and, and, and the Holy Spirit inspires the writers of Scripture, and, and, and then the Scripture says that God loves us in spite of us. We, we, we think that in order to be right with God, that we've got to fix ourselves up. But then the Scripture says that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The gospel message is explosive. It always affects things. When it's heard, it always causes a reaction. And that reaction always creates either a praise or a predicament. In this text, the gospel creates a predicament in that as the Lyconians witness gospel power, they erupt in pagan praise. They erupt in pagan praise, and so they begin to believe that Paul and Barnabas are Zeus and Herpes. However, what we find is that even as they try and offer them sacrifices, Paul and Barnabas are able to get away from the crowd. And as they're getting away from the crowd in this gospel predicament, the apostle Paul, the chief speaker, begins to proclaim the message of the gospel to them in spite of their oppression, uh, in spite of the way they are seeking to persecute them. They preach the gospel. And so, and so Paul begins to say, men, why are you doing these things? We are men just like you, of like nature with you, who bring good news or the gospel that you should turn from these vain things and trust in the living God. They believed in vain idols, vain gods who had no power. And so Paul says, turn from these vain idols. Turn from these worthless gods who can do nothing and who have no power and turn and trust in the living God who has and gives gospel power. Pagan praise is no match we find here, however, for the potency of the gospel. And so even again, as Paul and Barnabas rush out, they rush out proclaiming the word of God with power. Listen, the gospel is powerful, but it's not always safe. Gospel living or Christian living doesn't guarantee the best life now. But rather, it prepares us for predicaments, pressure, and the promised end. See, even after preaching the gospel with power, the scripture says that they were barely able to get folks to stop uh, trying to offer them sacrifices. Not only that, but it goes on to tell us that the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and stoned Paul half dead. Question for you. Might we be so cowardly that we've withheld the proclamation and power of the gospel so that we don't have to deal with gospel um, predicaments? Might that be possible? If we were challenged in the way that Paul and Barnabas were challenged, how would we respond? Can it be that our ideas of Christianity are far more influenced by the American dream and its conveniences than the plain teaching of Scripture? And in the face of predicaments, pressure, and pain, would you and I still worship and serve the Lord 
in the midst of pain and problems and uh, predicaments, will we still be faithful to live out what God has called us to in a way that makes God real to desperate communities that see God as fake? God doesn't leave Paul and Barnabas uh, to their own devices or to their own strength, however, but by his gospel power, he, he fuels them, sustains them, and motivates them to persevere. And so what we find is that Paul gets knocked out, but don't count him out yet. See, sometimes it seems as if the gospel message has gotten stale and its power has been lost. The truth is that we don't win them all. Sometimes we'll lose a fight and be stopped in our tracks. We won't always be able to provide for our families the way that we should. Sometimes the careers that we've planned on spending our working lives in eats us up and spits us out, or the relationships that we invest so much in don't secure the return on investment that we've desired. And it's sad, but I think that this, that, that, that this truth crushes most of us, that being a Christian does not guarantee a life of happiness and prosperity. The idea that God won't give us more than we can bear is false. See, sometimes he will give us more than we can bear plus some. Think about this for a moment. God is the creator and sustainer of it all. And God is sovereign. He's in charge, and he ordains all things. Here's what that means. That means that God was in charge when my mother died of breast cancer. That means that God was in charge and is in charge even as you struggle with sickness in your body. That God was in charge and is in charge even as you experience a broken heart. As you struggle to raise your children and as you struggle to keep your home in order and your marriage intact, God is in charge. The Christian life does not guarantee us the best life now. See, we know this especially when we look at and consider the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus who was the perfectly innocent one, the God of heaven who had everything he needed, was sufficient in and of himself, sat in the seat of majesty, but stooped down and had to persevere through gospel predicaments and even take some losses. To think that our master experienced this kind of overwhelming struggle, but we won't have to, is foolish at best. See, Paul was sought out, stoned, left half dead, but, the, but got up when the disciples gathered around him and got back to the gospel grind. A beautiful picture of perseverance. Jesus, however, was sought after mocked, beaten, killed, and stabbed in the side to ensure that he was dead, and he was. He, he was dead not for sins that he committed, but for sins that you and I committed. Sins that you and I commit. Sins that we're comfortable with, that we don't think twice about, and that we're perfectly okay with. 
for those sins, he died. But unlike Paul's situation, the disciples didn't come around his body, but the woman did, only to find that the tombstone was rolled away, the garments were left behind, and Jesus had risen again with all power and might uh, and was back on his way on the gospel grind. Listen, as we close up, because of Jesus' gospel perseverance, fueled by Holy Ghost gospel power in the face of gospel predicaments, you and I have an expected end greater than all the comforts this world has to offer. That same Holy Ghost gospel power that caused Paul to preach, the paralyzed man to listen, Paul to discern and heal, and then give Paul the strength to get back up after being knocked down is the same gospel power that rose Jesus from the grave and has been given to you and I. What are we doing with it, Christian? There's this gospel power and its ability to create us, to persevere, is my hope as we plant Cruciform Church. That as we engage in mission, as we face difficulty and opposition, the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave will help us get back up off of our faces when we've fallen because of all the pressure, when we've fallen because of all the energy and the effort that we've had to put in for the sake of the glory of God and the good of neighbor, that there is a power that's been given to me that'll raise us back up again. And Jesus demands that in the same way that he picked up the cross, that we too would pick up our crosses of self-denial, self-sacrifice, and that we would do so for the glory of God, the building up of the church, and the good of neighbor. Listen, friends. Are you okay with the reality that being Christian doesn't guarantee that you'll win whatever fight you're in right now? but that you might have to just put on your big boy pants and persevere with the help of Holy Ghost power? Have you gotten to a place where God has become so big, powerful, majestic, and beautiful that you could count the stuff that makes you great worthless? Or are you still prideful and obsessive about your achievements, family name, or status? Paul got past that as he saw the bigness of God and said that he counted all things as lost. Friends, are you aware of the Holy Ghost power that you possess and are using it to continue to push, even in spite of gospel predicaments? And after you've been knocked out, how will you get back up the way Paul and Jesus did and get back to the gospel grind for the glory of God? Check this out. Pagan praise couldn't stop the gospel. The Jews, Gentiles, and rulers couldn't stop the gospel. Persecution and injury couldn't stop the gospel. Sickness cannot stop the gospel. Life or death do not stop the gospel. What's so crazy and big that you're going through that you would think could stop the gospel? What could stop the gospel's advance in your life, in your husband or wife's life, in your children's life, or in your neighbor's life? Listen, the answer is simple, nothing. 
The gospel is unstoppable. I pray today that you might find life and hope and power in the face of gospel predicaments, in the reality of the gospel power that has been instilled in you. With that, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this day, God. Thank you again for giving us an opportunity to, to look to you in all of your power and all of your might, to, to see you as excellent, to see you as great, as strong, and as powerful. God, I pray this morning that those of us who have not yet experienced you as those things would experience you as it today. I pray that those who have not trusted in you yet might place their trust and lives into your hand. I pray that we would all together bow our knees to King Jesus. And God, I pray that you might fill us up with your Holy Ghost gospel power so that in face of gospel predicaments, we might be able to persevere. God, we thank you that you will finish the work that you started in us. And we pray all these things now in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.